And welcome to episode 33 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound players with a head for the game. I am Freeloader, and with me as always is Sabaiku. Sabaiku, how's it going tonight? Fantastic. We are the Brood Sages, easily the second best Stormbound related podcast in production. And as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages on Twitter. Or for all of you who couldn't decide between Transformers and GoBots, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. So, Sabaiku, this week we have some community news. This is going to be a new thing we're going to try to do more often to give our listeners uh, some idea about the breadth. I mean, and it is a broad swath of things going on in the community. And I would like to take this time to introduce our new senior sports correspondent, Dirk. <laughs> Dirky has been kind enough to help us out with this uh, as somebody heavily involved in the tournament scene and uh, an experienced equals player in their own right. Dirk is going to be helping us out with a roundup of the ongoing tournaments and contests that are uh, happening through the Discord. So if you're hearing this and you're interested, get yourself to the Discord. Contact Dirk if you have any questions and uh, take it away, Freeloader. So uh, first up is Draftbound. Uh, We've mentioned this already. This is the creation of Reckless. Uh, You get three random cards to choose from. Repeat that 12 times. You've now created your draft deck. In the first round, or the first tournament that's currently running, Thomas Petri, who again has just started to play equals, this is actually their first ever tournament, and MKM are fighting for a place in the finals against Helios. Helios is waiting for the winner. After those last two uh, uh, fights have been fought, Draftbound will actually turn into a weekly contest instead of a like a big long tournament. Um, go into the uh, uh, official Discord server. There is a link there uh, on Sheepyard's uh, social media accounts and all the rest of that. Uh, you can sign up for the weekly draft bound. Uh, the first week uh, starts in June. So I think the last day for sign up is going to be the 31st of May. So get on it, folks. There's only a few days left to sign up. Moving on from there, we have Faction Heroes. You pick a faction. Uh, then you try to beat as many people in the same faction as possible. So if you like playing Swarm, you get to play Mirrors of Swarm to your heart's content. Uh, the top two from each faction will then fight for the title of the faction hero. First and second places, who will be fighting for the faction hero title uh, for Swarm and Winter, seem to already be clear. For Ironclad and Shadowfen, uh, it can still change, so there's uh, it's still up for grabs. For Winter, it will be Lucifer and the Singularity. For Swarm, it will be between Dennis, who's another first-time equals player, and Vox. Uh, this tournament will also most likely be turning into a weekly contest sometime very soon. Next up, we have the Collector's Tournament. In the Collector's Tournament, you get a randomly generated deck to begin with. Then after every win, you get to pick one or two cards, depending upon if the win was 2-0 or 2-1 from your opponent's deck. How insane is that? You literally collect cards from them. This tournament has just started a few days ago. So far, Dennis, uh, who's the same uh, Dennis mentioned in the the Faction Heroes tournament, has managed to beat Arthas Rue, who is, in his own right, an amazing equals player, former Brood Sage himself, in round one. Round two is showing mostly 2-0 wins, which is not weird considering that the decks were all generated randomly. Uh, and uh, there does seem to be some people who got 
a little lucky with their randomly generated deck in the first place. Uh, from there, uh, we also have Faction Wars. This is different than Faction Heroes. In Faction Wars, you've, you pick a faction. So again, let's say Swarm. You then fight against the other factions. So no more mirror matches. You fight together with everyone who has chosen the same faction as you. So you're all on the same team, Team Swarm. This weekly contest will be starting up again soon. It uh, was a thing last spring and summer, I believe. Uh, but it's it, it kind of went dark for a little bit. It's been uh, just about six months. Uh, there's going to be a post uh, in the Sheepyard social media account uh, on the 31st. So look for that coming up. That's a ton of fun. Uh, everybody who used to do it really enjoyed it. So I highly recommend trying that contest out. Um, give it a shot. So with all of that, and, and gosh, very, very short notice on a lot of them. May uh, 31st is coming up very quickly. Uh, but with all of that out of the way, let's go into our main topic, which is patch notes. So Sabaiku, uh, I hear tell that the patch notes dropped. Indeed they did. So we have the usual round of balance changes, some mm, new mm, cards. Mm. We have some progression in economy changes this time around. Uh, so let's dive right in. Let's start with the balance changes. The big one that we think will impact the meta the most, unstable build is getting nerfed and now will inflict three damage per turn to itself instead of two. Uh, you know, Unstable build recently, relatively recently, probably about six or seven months ago at this point, was mm -hmm. increased in strength up to nine at level five. At nine strength, taking two damage a turn, it could just sit there for five turns if your opponent didn't put any units into it. Now, it'll only sit for three turns and more importantly, after it takes one tick of damage, it's only six strength, which is relatively easy to clear, at least at level five. Um, you'll be able to put Destructobots into it, for example, and just knock it down to a, to a state where it's going to remove itself the next turn. Now your opponent can't set this up as easily It'll still hold their front, but they can't set up the hearth guards damage as easily. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and at lower levels, at level one, level two, five or six strength, this is taking one tick of damage and then it's it's gone the next turn. It's it's not lasting long at all. I gotta say, I really like this. I think it's a fantastic way to decrease the strength of the card without reverting the previous buff, which um was maybe a little too much you know nine strength for two mana at level five is a lot a real lot but this mitigates that effect a little bit and makes it a little bit more of a temporary structure like it's supposed to be yeah i mean th there were definitely times where i would have things happen like my opponent would drop it in front of my opener and just let my opener crash into it and die and then still have a tower to work with the following turn for things like uh um fort tonic that's just crazy. Like I smashed two mana into it and it's still hanging around for another turn. You know, uh, this feels a lot better to me. There are still, it, it's still a two mana structure, which means that using it with Fort Tonic, using it with Hearth Guards um, in the same turn is still the most feasible, right? The next cheapest would be like uh, Fort of Ebonrock, 
Uh, so it is still the most economical structure to pair with your other things. The nice thing about it now is that Sheepyard's change is forcing it to become something you have to really cycle together to be able to predictably have it to enable the other combo piece, right? Yeah. Right now, it doesn't, like, you could be half cycle off from each other. You just lay it on the board and say, clear it. Otherwise, sooner or later, I'm drawing into my combo. Yep, definitely something that you have to try to work to combo rather than just jam it on the board and assume it'll stick around. This feels good. I have felt like this has been the most problematic Ironclad card um, ever since Fort Tonic got nerfed and Ironclad didn't budge. It just said, well, we'll get rid of Fort Tonic and put Hearth Guards in and ta-da, we're still super powerful. <laughs> And I do like the fact that Ironclad is able to leverage structures in a way that other factions can't, right? Like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a good part of the of the faction identity, you know, with uh, Mia, with the wide assortment of, of structures that you can use. Um, Hearthguard seems to be a natural fit into that theme, also. But I, I think that Unstable was kind of a, a bit too much, and you know. All the other structures really have fallen out of favor, it feels like. Yes. This one still sees play in pretty much every Ironclad deck. You know, definitely everyone that I've played against in the last couple months. So doing something to make it just a little less prevalent, I, I think, is appreciated. Yeah, I agree. The only other thing I was going to say was just I have seen Ironclad Rush decks that just love it because it's a two mana cycle card, right? Like it holds your front. It's effectively a tank that holds your front for two mana. And again, I don't think you can abuse it quite as badly now. This this feels good all the way around. I think this is probably right where I think we finally hit the sweet spot with this card. Uh, let's let's put it there. Let's see what happens. I'm very optimistic. I know I'm not always optimistic about their changes. This one makes me feel good. Moving on. Speaking of structures that have fallen out of favor. Fallen out of favor. Venomfall Spire is getting a buff up from 3, 4, 4, 6, 7 strength to 4, 5, 5, 7, 8 strength. So mana still stays at 4, but the strength is increased by 1 across the board. And now Poison is back in the meta. Mm, no. Poison is probably not back in the meta. <laughs> I think it's interesting that they chose to keep the strength jump from three to four of two strength. When it increases the target from levels two to three, the strength doesn't increase, but then you make up for it going from level three to four. And I don't know why it doesn't make sense to me either. Sure. Um, the, the strength is good now. It's yeah. comparable to... The three mana structures like for an upgrade point and the ability still does what it does, but what it does just kind of isn't really powerful enough at high levels to make it something that you'll see competitively. Uh, you'll see some meme decks based around it. Maybe this helps you out if you're trying to play it like at level three in, in yeah, silver okay. or gold, you know, in lower levels where the one strength tick from poison actually matters a little more, right? As you increase the strength of each unit, you know, when, when gifted recruits is two strength, taking one off of it is a 50% reduction. That's huge. When gifted recruits is five strength, taking one off of it is a 20% reduction. That doesn't matter. As as the you know, 
the units increase in strength and mana cost from there, it's less and less relevant. I, I feel like Venom Fall Spire on its own didn't necessarily need a buff because its play rate isn't about itself. Its play rate is about the viability of poison. And I don't feel this changes that. Yeah, it's poison synergies are are decent, but not good enough right now. Maybe this is preparation for changes to Amber Heights or Mark Prey or new cards that interact with poison differently. Sure. Uh, but for right now, this makes Venom Fall something that you now can just set down and worry a little bit less about your opponent clearing, right? So if sure. you're trying to set up Poison Synergy, it's just a little more likely to last until next turn. The problem is the payoff isn't there in the game right now. Yeah, and it's still four mana. So if I was just looking for a tower to help hold front in like a rush deck or an aggressive mid-range deck, I'm probably still using Fort of Ebonrock over this, right? Unless you're really trying to make an Amber Hides rush deck work. <laughs> probably not. All right, what else you got? Former card of the week, Joust Champion. Mana cost goes down from eight to seven. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, I want to say I love this change for one very important reason, and that's at level five. Joust Champions is seven strength and deals seven additional damage to any unit that it attacks. Seven mana, so it's seven, seven, seven. Beautiful. Well aligned. I like it. We're done here. Perfectly balanced, as all things should be. So the obvious comparison now for Joust Champions at seven is Salty Outcast, right? Like another seven Uh, mana, two movement. Okay. Salty has better strength when attacking the base, but Joust Champions defensively, assuming that everything lines up perfectly, you can do 14 damage for seven mana and then still leave a seven strength body on the board afterward. That's, That's pretty good but it requires your opponent to play columns of units like Zuri. And this comes, you know, this comes too late for stopping a Zuri on turn five. This is a response to somebody who's played Doppelbox and then Zuri or, you know, played Wild Saber Paws and then Zuri. Uh, It'll let you do some work to clear that off, but you're clearing it off for the same amount of mana that they spent on it. You're not getting an efficiency upgrade there. Uh, so I don't know how much play it'll really see. Uh, it's still better than Twilight Prowlers, I think, because you can use it in the middle of the board. You can use it anywhere. Twilight Prowlers is just a baseline defender. So even though Twilight Prowlers has a ton of strength, it doesn't necessarily do as much. It's not as flexible. Yeah, it, it only on your baseline. Like if you're getting partially base locked, which in all honesty if that's happening to you you're probably losing the game anyway but but as a hail mary to try to win that game i guess you would still prefer twilight prowlers because of the three movement yep but i agree with you i think you're right the other thing i will say is at eight mana this felt too much like a poor man's siren yes and now it's significantly different from siren it's significantly cheaper I don't know if it's quite enough, but I will say at least it feels balanced now. Yeah, I, I, I like the card. So I'm I'm not using Salty Outcast much anymore either. Uh, uh, you know, cards on the table, as it were. Pardon the pun. 
Um, so I don't know how much this is going to see play because I haven't really been in the market for a seven mana runner lately, but I think it's much more enticing now than it was at eight. I wish it did a little more face damage. Uh, you know, you know, uh, a, a max level saber pause for two mana deals five. This only deals two more, um, but its flexibility makes it certainly worth something. So a few months ago, I actually upgraded my salty outcast to level five and just used it uh, in a variant of your winter deck as a finisher, just a, a chunk of 10 damage, and it was fine. It worked well enough. Ooh. Joust Champions can't do that. It doesn't do a chunk of damage. It is definitely a more control-oriented card, hmm. and mm-hmm. if you're playing a deck that's slower and control-oriented, I don't know that you necessarily want Joust Champions in there over something like Siren, or even over something like Crazy Bombers, which will do a ton of surrounding damage and isn't quite so geographically limited, right? Like Joust Champions, those two units need to be bordering each other for it to work. Crazy Bombers, you can just kind of, you know, throw down and, and do a bunch of damage everywhere. I'll throw this card out as a basis of comparison. I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but it's what popped into my head was Tiger. Right, so so Tiger can at, at six mana actually does eight to face as a runner, so it does one damage more, but then the rest of the value from it just kind of comes all over the place. At best, it can do is twenty because it can deal eight to the face, and then give twelve strength to one of your units. So it actually is fairly competitive in terms of you know value that you can get out of it, um, albeit in a very different board state. And I'm trying to decide if there's an argument to be made that if you play Tigor a lot of times defensively in the mid game to try to save yourself, if you if you've got a deck where where, where Tigor is your finisher, but also you end up playing it a lot to like save your bacon. Might playing Joust Champions be a superior choice in those situations for that particular deck? Maybe. Again, Tigre, when it does the random damage to a unit, can do so across the board. It can do it anywhere. Oh, right. That's a good point. Joust Champions, again, is limited by positioning. Mm. And that makes it like really good against Zuri, like I said before, but not so good against most other things. Um, Tigor's advantage is that you can get a really good high roll and you can get a really bad low roll also. Like the RNG makes makes it a little more fun to play. Mm-hmm. And whereas this is not fun to play. All right. So maybe we see play on it, maybe we don't, but as it stands, it's at least separated from from Siren a bit, which is good. Yeah, you know, and that uh, I do want to just say to close it out, it, it feels good. I, I don't know if it'll see play, but that doesn't mean that it's not balanced. It feels good the way that it is. And I think if you threw it in your kind of slower, heavy mid-range or light control deck, you're probably going to... Say, yeah, that that's a solid card. It's fine. So moving on from there to Trekking Alderman. An increase in strength at the top few levels. Uh, levels 1 and 2 are not changed. Levels 3, 4, and 5 get one extra strength. So now it's just a 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 across the board as you level it up. The ability remains unchanged. It's going to distribute if it survives an attack. It'll distribute some damage across the board. Um, the problem is it still maxes out at four random damage to enemy units on the board, which 
just doesn't really feel like enough. Like the body's good now. The body is in line with other three mana cards like Excited Mousers or uh, Sound Drivers or uh, Harpies of the Hunt. Harpies of the Sword. Hunt. Yeah. Are those both, yep. I think those both top out at eight, but they I have no ability. Yep. 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 It's good. It's it's a good buff in that it's uh, now commensurate with its peers. I think the ability is fine, and that's probably what's going to keep it from seeing play. <laughs> Well, so so uh, uh, shout out to Critical Pancake. He had designed a Shadowfen deck that, um, like, he popularized the idea of using Harpies of the Hunt as a include tech card to counter scrapped planners, and this would now do that uh, for what it's worth. Ooh, only a scrapped planners that has survived a trade. That's the biggest difference, right? Harpies of the Hunt counters a full strength scrapped. That is true. That is true, although you don't normally see a lot of naked scrapped planners played, right? Normally you see them played into a trade for a reason. Sure, yeah. Um, so so now Trekking Alderman can counter that. Granted, you don't get any value out of it, but to your point, I don't know how much value you really should put on four random damage to enemy units. I, I feel like at level five, like if, if you're playing it at level five, in all likelihood you're playing against other level five cards it's really hard to imagine how four random damage spread across a board is going to really impact a game yeah so it can soften up your opponent's stuff on the board so that Mm. you can uh trade into it more favorably maybe you win some trades that you otherwise wouldn't maybe you make trades with less mana than you would have right now i don't need to put my now I don't need to put my toad into a unit to kill it. I can put gifted into it, and that leaves me two extra mana to do something else, right? Yeah, that's, no, that's you know true. that that's kind of a best case scenario here. Maybe if you wanted to run this as a anti toad card, you see a lot of rain of frogs, you see a lot of azure hatches. You stick this on the board, and now they disappear. But but isn't beast of terror just better because you at least know then that you're getting all of them? I mean, you, you know what I mean? Like, you can play Rain and have something like Helios on the board or Witches on the board, and Trekking Alderman could just randomly put two or three of its four pings into a big body that, you know, just still ain't going to die. And, and then all those toads are left alive. Yeah, you you know, you're right. You would rather play Beasts of Terror in that situation. Um, like you said, make sure that all the toads are cleared out not relying on the random damage you know the fact that it costs one extra mana really isn't particularly relevant i think that it's just a better choice in that situation if that's the kind of tech card that you're looking for i wonder if trekking alderman would see play if it wasn't enemy units but just random enemies oh it would see a ton of play if it could ping to the uh, enemy base well yeah but randomly you you have no control over where those go you can control that by clearing out the rest of the board a little bit well that's a good point for three mana that's probably too cheap because for three mana you can fit this in you know pretty much any turn Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you could do some work there especially in the early game you know if your opponent plays something for three mana say they only have a saber pause to open the game if you can move up with a green prototypes and stick this in front of it you know you eat their saber paws do four damage to their base and the game starts off on an unequal footing right off the bat like that like that that's hard i kind of like that though i'll be honest i would play it 
Yeah. But as it is just pinging the board, it's like you said, it's kind of meh. So uh, uh, remind me on timing on this, and and we might not know the answer. This might need some play testing afterwards to answer. But um, if my opponent opens with a shady ghoul, and I uh, I respond with green proto trekking alderman, does the trekking alderman and I stick the trekking alderman obviously in front of the shady ghoul? Does the does the trekking alderman clear, or does it do four damage to nothing and then the spawn appears i believe that it will do four damage to nothing and then the spawn will appear because the on death effect will trigger after the elder takes damage man okay so so it's and that's because it it it, because trekking alderman doesn't have movement it is always going to be getting attacked into right right correct Hmm. all right well, let's move on from from that one to probably the most debated in the Discord right now. Uh, nerf, buff, burf. I guess everyone's calling it a burf. Yeah, this one's kind of tough to categorize. I, I'd be happy to call it a burf. If Counselor Ami is played with no surrounding enemies, it will come back as a copy to your hand. But now the copy will come back to your hand with plus one strength. It will gain one strength every time it comes back to hand. So you can start stacking strength buffs on Counselor Ami. Uh, If you play it next to, or sorry, if you play it surrounding an enemy unit, the additional strength is lost and the next draw will go back to the original strength. The base strength is now decreased by one at every level. So it's a three mana, one, two, three, four, five to start. If you open the game with it, your next copy will be two, three, four, five, six, and so on and so on. Um, Yeah, this is a weird one. So the strength is down on the first copy you play. The strength Mm -hmm. is back to normal on the second copy you play. And the strength is plus one on the third copy. So if you can play Ami three times without playing it next to a surrounding enemy, you break even on what the strength currently is. It's just like you play three counselor Amis right now, essentially. Okay, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It is, it, it's notable, though, that it's a lot harder to do that because currently it's bordering, not surrounding. Correct. That's been actually one of the big complaints in the uh, 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 the Discord has been the uh, increased difficulty of getting Ami to proc correctly. Which is true. I mean, look, the board gets crowded later in the game. And later in the game is when you really want to continue stacking Ami's strength buffs so that you can uh, uh, basically use it to seal the game. It's something that you do have to play back on your baseline or close to it because just chances are good. Your enemy's going to have stuff on the board if you don't do it that way. Potentially, or all their stuff may be forward. <laughs> just you play this along their baseline three times. <laughs> sure, that, that is definitely possible. I uh, have a feeling you're winning that game regardless of what you're playing. <laughs> That's also probably true. Uh, it is worth noting. I have not been able to get a, a straight answer on this. I asked the question. Um, so if I play Ami like three or four times correctly, and so now I've got this big Ami, and I decide for whatever reason that the board state is such that I don't want to play another Ami for a while. So I'm just going to cycle the card into my deck and draw back to it later. Uh, I don't know what the state of the card is going to be when I draw it again. I I interpret these notes as it will be cycled away 
with the strength buff and it will come back to your hand eventually with the strength buff because you have not played it surrounding anything on the board you've just moved the card back into your deck but again that's that's my interpretation of reading it not from having played with it at all correct that's my interpretation as well um and again i don't know what the use case would be when you're suddenly thinking you know i have this three mana nine one <laughs> well yeah the use case there is that you cannot put it on the board without touching a surrounding unit and you don't want to do that you don't want to lose those strength buffs you've accumulated so you're like i'm just going to throw it away play broken truce or whatever and come back to it later oh good point yeah no i like that yeah i'm going to throw it away find another unit with movement to play some defense we're going to clear as best we can and then when we get it back i've got a three mana eight one again now the question is how do you use this right like what's a control deck for sure is it you know i certainly said broken truce there it seems like something you want to do uh in combination with removal so that you can keep the board clear and just slowly build up armies to the point where your opponent just can't deal with it yeah i mean i i think you want to get to the point where you're literally playing four or five armies in a turn right like you want them you want the game to stretch out to mana's 12 through 18 kind of a thing uh and you know if broken truce needs to be played you play you put four mana into that and that or hunter's vengeance even because honestly how big are your armies at this point do you even care if broken if uh, hunter's vengeance is played only two of them will get it it's fine right exactly uh, uh, and then you just you just spam Amis the rest of your mana. Uh, so it, if your goal is to make it to to that late in the game, then I think it has to be a control deck. Yeah, uh, you could certainly try to go the other way with it, where everything else in the deck is very cheap, and this is essentially your your finisher. You put your opponent back on their heels trying to defend against your strong swarm rush and then all of a sudden it's six mana you throw two armies down further back on the board next turn you play two more and your opponent uh is now all of a sudden getting overwhelmed by huge units that they're not ready to defend because they've been working against your rush up to that point i don't know if that'll work that's a direction i i feel like i want to take it I, I, just I because like swarm is not a class that is particularly well suited to control although you know dark harvest and and broken truce can definitely do some work no i i like this idea the, the more you're talking me through it it's starting to make some sense to me uh especially because well you don't need a big unit ami is the big unit right like like i i, I don't need to put a a an a five mana 10 one in the in the deck to to be a you know a tank or a pressure point i've got a three mana card that will be a 10 one soon enough okay five quick plays away and you'll get that 10 one <laughs> hey that's one on turn one one on turn two i mean look we've talked about ami on this podcast before and basically what we said is no one is excited about playing west wind sailors over and over and over again that's it, true it's better than that now uh, i think I'm not sure. The first one you play is worse than that, but the second one you play is at least on par with that, and it gets up from there, and I think you're going to be able to find ways to creatively and innovatively use this and uh, let let it kind of take over a game. Yeah, I think so. I think I think Dark Harvest might want to play in this deck, and the reason is is because you want to play Ami away from your opponent's units. You're going to play them like a, you know two rows away, 
So that Ami steps forward and is now uh, bordering your opponent's units, right? Sure, that makes sense. And now all of a sudden your Dark Harvest is a clear, can do some work. It's just a lot of mana. Yeah, well, it is a lot of mana. Especially if you have to play Ami twice in order to get the positioning that you need. Um, yeah, it, okay. It's Maybe tough. It's I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's going to be interesting to play with. Um, by, I've This is a card that I've gotten a ton of copies of, so it is pretty <laughs> solidly level four for me. So I'll be happy to try to use it at level four and see what happens. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to be able to keep up with the value generation from other mid-range decks right like can this actually keep up with a bragda deck or a zuri deck where there's a big one turn power spike and you're left kind of slowly trying to build up your value over time instead it's a different way of looking at the game it's a different way of playing the game and uh whether or not it can compete you know i'll be i'll be interested to test out I will say Bragda might give it a lot of difficulty just because Azure Hatcher and Rain are two cards that you might want to play just as counters to Ami to prevent uh, your opponent from having space to play it. Right? Yeah, just clog up the board on them. That's what they do. Yeah. All right, so moving on from there, that's it for our buffs and nerfs. Next, we have uh, some new cards. We get two new cards this coming month, Baiku. And we're going to do these in chronological order, not in the order of the patch notes. The first card is coming out on June 4th, and that'll be Headless Hotheads, a mm. five-mana construct, three, four, five, six, seven strength, and two movement, but a different kind of movement than we have seen before. On play, move fixedly forward. It will not turn to the side and attack units to the side. It will just move forward two spaces. It knows where it wants to go. It knows the place, Sibaiku. You know it what the place is? It wants to go to face. This is a <laughs> smork card all the way. It can Love move your this. front so that you can get in range of your opponent's base, or it just goes in itself. Seven damage for five is fine. You know, if you get this up to level five, it's as... It's as strong as Joust Champions. It <laughs> The whole way, it's as strong as Blue Sail Raiders, which is mm -hmm. a fine pirate card, a, a decent enough runner that, that does see some play. Uh, Blue Sail will go to the side, so you can use it a little more flexibly, right? Like, you can use it defensively if you want to. You can use it to move sideways and then up to uh put a unit on your opponent's baseline this will not do that this is just going to move forward too every time so your opponent can't defend against it in the same way either um you know it, so they're both going to fill different roles in which one you want in your deck kind of depends on how you want to play i really love this card i don't know if this card is actually uh going to see a ton of play uh you know blue sail doesn't see a ton of play either just because the mana cost is a little high and the strength is kind of just not quite enough on on that but this mechanic is amazing i love that they're introducing different movement mechanic to the game and, and i can't wait to see what they do with it in the future yeah i'm in the same boat as you with this i i, I don't know if i love this card i do know that i love this mechanic um I love the idea of, you know, one of the things that makes Stormbound very, very unique in the world of digital card games is the board. Positioning, proximity, all of these kinds of concepts, movement, uh, uh, different directions, push-pull, all of these mechanics that are already in the game 
make it really endearing and very unique uh, because you you learn about you know playing cards with mana uh, from a lot of different places. Um, the idea of them diving into this kind of space in in this area that they're so unique in this movement on the board idea. I love it. I, uh, let's go. Let's go further. Let's let's make a lot of cards that play in this space. Absolutely. This one in particular, I think you're right. The mana cost. I, I, there's so much competition uh, uh, for super powerful five drops right now. Well, no, I, you know, we talked about earlier uh, two episodes ago, four episodes yes. ago. We talked about <laughs> how there's not enough five mana cards in the game. So I'm actually happy that they're introducing it here and taking uh, another stab at making a five mana card that that maybe is worthwhile. No, I I agree that there's not enough five mana cards in the game. That was from uh, Kitty produced that graph. Um, I was saying there's, there's so much competition for like the super powerful five drop. I'm thinking uh, Loris. I'm thinking uh, Ubis. I'm thinking Butchers. I'm thinking Zuri. There, there's you know, the five drop spot. Uh, there's not a lot of options, but the options that are there are a lot of very heavy hitters. And so this is going into a, a, a an octagon fight with some big old boys. The one thing I will say is even in a rush deck, the rush of rush decks, Reckless Rush, you play double box in part because for the mana it's just good value but it's not really a value deck right you play it because a lot of times all you really need to do to win is scoot your front around what your opponent has played for defense and doppelbox is one of the very few cards in the game that can do that uh we've just seen that another card like that is being introduced i love this yeah, and you know, obviously, the biggest difference between this and Doppelbox is the mana cost. Doppelbox mm-hmm. you can use a lot more flexibly because it's two mana; you can fit it into your turn. This is five; it's a much bigger investment, especially in a rush deck that is looking to close the game out by seven or eight mana. But it, maybe this is something you put over the top in your rush deck just because your opponent can't defend it in the same way. Yeah, no, I was just thinking for for, for factions that don't have Doppelbox at the ready. Uh, I know yeah. in Shadowfan, you and I, we, we use Azure Hatcher sometimes for the same kind of purpose, uh, just to crash it into something and, 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 and get it to spawn and move our front around the opponent's defense. Um, so I, I wish I could pay only two mana, but I'm already willing to pay four mana for this kind of feature in a rush deck. Mm, you know, might Winter or Ironclad, who don't even have access to that, might they be interested? No, you you might be right. Uh, I'm, I hope that people can get this leveled up relatively soon and, and test it out and see how it works. It is a rare, so it'll be a little while before I have it leveled up for sure. Yep. All right, moving on next, Eternal Ethereals. An eight mana card, so a heavy hitter, but with three movement and an ancient tag instead of the construct tag that we saw for the Headless Hothead. The Eternal Ethereals have five, six, seven, nine, eleven strength, so relatively big, uh, especially considering the movement involved. 
but expensive at eight mana. The competition for a solid body with three movement, as we talked about earlier, is Siren. This is kind of a, a one mana discount on the Siren. Doesn't have the amazing legendary effect that Siren does, but an 11 strength common, you could definitely level this up and have it be a reasonable substitute as something that you play over the top to just deal a huge chunk of damage. Um, you know, one more mana than Salty Outcast, but one more strength and one more movement makes it a pretty solid value. That was exactly the card I was thinking of comparing it to, was if you play Salty Outcast right now, might this be a card you consider swapping in for it? Maybe. I don't know how much to value the extra damage, right? That's the big question. Uh, two Salty Outcast hits is 20. Not a lot of Not a lot of opponents have more than 20 health. It does happen on occasion. Mm, winter. Okay. Okay, okay. I'm warming up to it. And, you know, uh, we, we missed the obvious comparison there also by talking about uh, Salty Outcast, but Sleep Stompers is a dwarf runner. Oh, yeah. A race with lots of runners. Uh, mm -hmm. 12 strength for two movement. This is one less strength, one more movement. That's a, a typical balancing. I would definitely say the extra movement is worth losing one strength on something of this mana cost. Yeah, 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 for sure. The, the the big thing about it is it's not about being able to necessarily tag your opponent from the midboard. It's the ability to make a small trade, like there's a, you know, a one or two health or three health remnant on your opponent's second row and being able to still hit face when your opponent has put something on their second row defensively is a that's a that's a, a premium premium skill yep yep and you know three movement in a heavy body makes this something that i think could really see a lot of play uh not for the like we talked about not for the experienced players who have a well-developed library and already have a high level siren but if you're a newer player, you only have one or two copies of Siren, you get a ton of copies of this instead because it's a common, you know, maybe you get this up to level four while your Siren's only at level two, and you say, yeah, you know what, one mana cheaper, nine strength, that, that seems pretty reasonable, I'll play that. I would I would definitely do that, yeah, for sure. If I wanted to play something like Khan's Runners and I just wanted uh, a more budget-friendly list, yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, we are probably not the main demographic for this card. Um, and I think this is probably geared toward newer players. And I think it'll work pretty well in that role. Moving on from there, uh, we now have uh, what has been a little bit of a sky is falling a uh, 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 fear going on the victory coins update uh the victory coins are going to be increased across the board in ranked matches Subaiku, proportional to the league of the uh, of the players so starter iron bronze silver gold they're all going to get 10 coins plus an additional 10 coins for watching the ad or having the premium pass for them nothing is changing right so for gold and below there is a change in that without watching the ad you get five extra coins, right? Your total is oh, still 20, right. but if you don't have the premium pass, you get 10 without watching an ad instead of five. Oh, and the okay. ad gives you a little bit less, which hmm. seems fair. But in platinum, you get 15 coins for a win and 15 coins for watching an ad or having the premium pass. In diamond, that's 20 and 20 for a total of 40 coins per win. And in Heroes League, 25 and 25 for a total of 50 
point per win over twice as much as what you're currently getting. Yeah, that's insane. That's that is a huge difference in the amount of gold per win. Now, this does not apply to brawl. Brawl is going to be 10 and 10, same as uh, gold and below. That's fine. I don't really play Brawl to earn coins. <laughs> oh, I play Brawl to spend coins. And now hopefully I'll have more coins to spend. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is going to definitely be helpful for resource generation. This is going to be helpful for the economy. Uh, but there's a downside. Mm, walk me through this downside. The hero's chest now will give you 2,000 coins instead of 3,000 and 70 rubies instead of 100 rubies. So you lose 1,000 coins and 30 rubies from your end of season chest. The diamond chest, you will lose 300 coins and that's it. There was so much panic about this and so many people got so upset over all of this. Um, I want to give credit to where credit is due. Thomas Petrie, uh, he posted on the Stormbound Reddit a fantastic set of graphs showing you the linear projection of uh, coins gained for average wins per day, starting at zero wins per day, all the way up to 20 wins per day uh, for Platinum, Diamond, and Heroes, compared pre-May with May and then June, and showed that actually if you're going to play and win at least two games a day, you're coming out ahead. Everybody who wins more than two games a day comes out significantly ahead from where they would have with the old system. Uh, and I, it's really impressive when you look at it graphically. Sure. And that's fair. And we need to come out ahead because we do need more gold. Everybody needs more gold. It is the resource that you get the most of, but it's also the resource you spend the most of. And this just feels like this feels like two steps forward, one step back. We didn't need to have a nerf to the end of season rewards. We didn't need to get less for actually making the Heroes League. You could have just given us more gold on top of it. And why you had to take 30 rubies away on the side is, I don't understand that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure about the rubies either. Um, but I will say that that to your point, I agree that you should get more gold for reaching the Heroes League. And in fact, now you do. The difference is you get more gold for making the Heroes League and continuing to play. I, I You know, if you stay, step back from this and you just try to take a look at uh, what are the developers trying to incentivize, um, there is a, a percentage of the player base. Uh, and, and gosh, I used to do this all the time. I'll, 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 I'll take ownership of it. I used to make Diamond 1 and then just stop playing. If I had, you know, I'd make Diamond 1 with like a week or six, seven days to go, something like that, maybe five days to go. And I'd just be like, oh, I made it. I'm done. Just going to coast for the rest of the, the season. There's, there's nothing more for me to fight for. That's fine. You're welcome to do that. But Sheepyard has a vested interest in trying to keep queue times low and their matchmaking system working as accurately as possible. In order for that to happen, they need people playing every day. Uh, and so that's what they're incentivizing here. They're, they're not, I, I don't see this as penalizing you for being in the Heroes League because holy smokes, you earn 50 gold, two and a half times as much gold as you currently do. And I'm not saying that it's a penalty. 
I'm, I am absolutely not saying that. It, is, it, it will be better next month than it was this month for everybody mm-hmm. that can win more than two games a day. But the point is that you could have just given extra to the players without t- taking something away. I agree if 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 so so again what I'm what I'm reading into this is and and I don't know anything about this this is just what I'm projecting. The message I'm taking away from this is we need you guys to play more. <laughs> like thank you thank you for for getting this far, but we really just need everybody playing a little bit more all the time. You know, give us give us a, a game or two extra each day please. Especially at the higher levels. Especially at the higher levels, right? Now, if you want to talk about incentives, this also definitely does incentivize people to have the premium pass because you're going to hit a 400 coin cap pretty quickly now by getting 50 coins per win instead of instead of 20. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Holy smokes. I didn't even consider this. Uh, that's eight games. Wait, that's like a given night of playing. You're going to... Ooh. I mean, ideally, yeah. And wow. now you'll you'll start seeing that little uh, pop up. Hey, you've hit the cap for the day. Why don't you check out the premium pass to get more? <laughs> yeah, but to me, the the bigger the bigger thing here is just like I know there's a lot of people currently in Diamond One and Two posting. Look, all that's happening is I'm queuing into the top 100 of the of the Heroes League right now. I'm not queuing into somebody who's just barely in the Heroes League. It's all the top players and. The reason for that is uh, they're the only ones competing right now for anything. So they, they keep queuing up. Uh, uh, and, and, and that's not like 100%, but a lot of the people who are in the bottom half of Heroes League, there's no compelling reason for them to queue anything up at this point. They're not trying for the number one spot. Their rewards are effectively locked in. So I, I, I like the idea of just kind of, this is to me an ask. This is an ask to the players. We're going to give you more. What we ask in return is just just play a little bit more often so our matchmaking stays solid. And I'm comfortable with that. I don't know. This doesn't bother me. No, it feels like a fair trade. It does. The 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 the, the maxing out the coin cap though seems problematic. I was not planning. I'll be honest. I was not planning on paying for the premium pass this coming month. I guess I'm going to test it out and see how often that really happens first, and then maybe I go back to it in July. Which makes sense. Like if it's if you hit the coin cap two or three times a month then you start thinking to yourself hey how much do i value eight dollars versus how much do i value those extra coins but for the most part maybe you think i only hit it once anyway not really a big deal that depends on you that depends on how much you play and uh, that's that's something you definitely have to decide for yourself Mm -hmm. the premium pass will continue for the next month in the same way that it was for the month of may um more rewards, no ads, etc. Uh, it still remains the most cost-effective way to spend money on the game. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe like we talked about before, maybe one of the extra bonuses, like more friends list or no ads, really appeals to you, and you get it for the extra resources and for that. You know, that's every person's choice to make for themselves, for sure. Yeah, um, there also will be some new avatars if you do have a lot of resources and it's burning a hole in your pocket. Um, and then there are some bug fixes, only one of which I think is important enough to note. I, I know this does cause some some. <laughs> flaming posts in reddit and in discord uh the infamous fourth card going missing from your hand bug is finally being resolved uh 
I'm I'm very excited about this because I've I've actually had to play about three or four games in my year plus of playing this game, where uh, I only have three cards. All right, so is that it in terms of what we want to talk about in the patch notes? I think that's enough, man. That's uh, a hefty set of patch notes. Um, you know, we we talked about the balance changes probably more than it's really worth talking about. Um, Unstable build is probably the only one that really uh, sees some widespread usage. Um, and so that'll be the most impactful. But I do hope people experiment with Ami. I hope I experiment with Ami. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely try to level up some of those cards and hang on to some gold from the last 3,000 coin chest that I'll ever get <laughs> from the Heroes League. I, I I think you're right. There will be a lot of Ami experimentation on the first couple of days. If something sticks, it could become part of the meta. I don't think it'll dominate. Um, but if nothing sticks, I think you're right. Uh, Unstable build will be the lasting change from this uh, month. Uh, moving on, I'm so excited about this. Uh, our card of the week this week, uh, Sabaiku was kind enough to let me choose it. It is the one. It is the only. It is the wet sprocket. It is Toad the Elevated. It is from Shadowfen. Rarity, Legend, wait for it, Barry. Mana four, strength goes three, four, five, six, seven, movement one. Uh, but Subaiku, it's all about the effect, isn't it? It definitely is. After attacking, jump in front of a random enemy unit or structure and gain three, four, five, six, seven strength. So Oof. Toad survives an attack and he just doubles his strength. And then if he survives another attack, he'll jump around and gain strength again. Yeah, I do have to say that one of the funniest things about uh, 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 playing in mirror matches when your opponent plays Toad, uh, if you just drop rain, it's kind of like round and round she goes where she stops nobody. No, Toad just jumps everywhere. And that Toad is hopping all around the board. <laughs> There's a bit of a change log to this. Um, it is worth noting that at one point it was a six mana card. Yeah, six mana, I think up to 12 strength, but with a vastly reduced ability. Uh, so now the total value ends up being about the same, but it does get a little bit harder to proc Toad's ability when you're uh, playing against somebody else with all max levels. You know, you really do need something smaller on the board that you can take advantage of i will say i have uh finally gotten toad to four but um for, the, for for since the start of the heroes league i had toad at three the first month of trying to climb to the heroes league i actually did it with toad at level three three is tough because at five strength you know if your opponent is playing max level gifted recruits max level uh gps max level saber paws like you're not even surviving a trade into their two strength uh, into their two mana or one mana units it's true it's true but what i was doing was i was dangling uh dubious hags I would play Dupia's Hags with Toad in hand, waiting for my opponent to clear it and get the one health unit. And this would allow me to maximize my Toad uh, value, right? Because now I trade into a one health unit, five down to four, jump somewhere else, plus five up to nine. Yep, which feels pretty good. So I was playing Toad at level four, and I mm -hmm. was actually having trouble getting it to work just because I was playing against so much ironclad and the board would be 
like Destructobots and Scrap Planners. I'm like, well, shoot, I can't trade into either one of those. That doesn't work. Yeah, clean trades and Toad are bad. Um, the the thing about Toad that I really like is that Toad is uh, RNG, the, the, right? Toad is overpowered for its mana because the RNG of it, you don't know where it's going to jump. You don't know where it's going to be. Um, but when you learn how to manage that RNG in a way so that Toad only has one option of where it's going to jump because you stuck units in front of the bad options or you traded them away, um, there's a lot of cards like this. I really feel like Stormbound, the strongest cards are cards that have a little bit of RNG to them. But when you learn how to properly manage that RNG to your advantage, the outcomes are superior for you on average than any other card in the slot. And Toad falls right into that group. Yeah, definitely a hard card to set up positionally. Like, I think it's pretty easy to understand the first step of, well, how do I make it go where I want it to go? And sometimes you can do that and sometimes you can't, but it's harder to set the board up definitely to make sure that that's going to happen. Trying to think two or three moves ahead. Well, I want to attack this side of the board now so that he puts his unit over there so that next turn I can be over here and play my toad into whatever he trades with over there. So it goes back to the other side kind of deal. Like that's it's asking a lot to to try to make that work. But when you can and your toad bounces all the way across the board so you can put a, a runner into their base for lethal, it, it feels great. Yeah, there was there was a, a a board. My opponent had two units on the board. One was like a giant Lady Rhyme I was never killing. And the other was a unit on his, uh, I think they were both on his second row. Lady Rhyme was like in column four. He had something else in column two. And uh, I didn't have anything that would clean trade the unit in column two. Uh, it was my only path to get a runner in. And so I realized the only thing to do was to trade my toad into the to the unit, let toad jump out of the way. And now, ta-da, I've got my my column. But it was really cool to set it up so that toad would trade and then jump out of the way. Like, ta-da, now I got my runner spot. Um, I was very proud of it at the time. Uh, I might be misremembering it now, but at the time I thought, gosh, that was such a cool way to win a game was to to, to clear with Toad, get him out of the way, and then ta-da. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's a unique effect, right? Like Toad so rarely will get to your opponent's baseline because he's hopping all around the board or he gets cleared. But the fact that you can kind of control the hopping around the board a little bit and make it go where you want it to it it makes it strong yeah definitely a good value generator definitely a flexible card that can fit in almost any shadow fen deck uh, it's fun I, I like that we had a conversation earlier today about how headless hotheads uh plays with this sort of movement concept in in this game which makes it so unique and now we come full circle to toad who also just plays with movement in a completely different way. Um, these are fun cards. This is a, 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 a fun way to play the game. Um, so yeah, uh, if you haven't tried Toad out, give it a shot. Even if you feel like it's underleveled, um, I recommend trying to use your hags the turn before as a setup for it, or even the same turn if there's something good to trade into. Uh, and good luck. That's going to end the main portion of this episode, which means it's time for me to remind you to contact us, preferably in our channel on the Stormbound Discord server or on Twitter at Brood Sages. You can also email us at thebroodsages at gmail.com. 
And now we have an additional way for you to reach out and support us. We have a Gumroad account where you can become patrons of our work. Check that out. Our link is on Stormbound Kitty on our homepage. This week, we heard from Joshua H1845, who says, thanks for the great video, guys. MKM says, not going to lie, best episode ever. Well, that's only because you were on it, sir. Uh, Suplala1 says, when you roast MKM at the start of the episode, I know it is uh, the most enjoyable thing that I do in every episode is making fun of MKM using email. And it's even better when he's part of it. It really is. He was there to receive it. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode. For Savaiku, I am Freeloader. We are the Brid Sages reminding you to stay hydrated. <laughs>